What's going on, everyone? Jonathan here, and I have the incredible privilege to be talking to Rob Schink on the show today. Rob, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Jonathan. I think that this whole topic that we're going to get into about, you know, the legal side of weddings and events and and this whole entire industry that we're a part of, I think it's so important. And we've definitely seen over the past year, probably all the impacts that happen when you maybe don't have correct contract pieces in place and things like that. And so I'm excited to get into, you know, your story and kind of how you serve clients. But before we get into that, how did you get into this industry? How'd you become a lawyer? Give us a little bit of background on yourself. Thank you. Um, so I became a lawyer technically in 2008. Um, I went to school at Georgia State University. At the time, I was dating a wedding photographer, and um, I reviewed her contract. And from there, I kind of got a reputation amongst wedding photographers in Atlanta, Georgia. And from there, I got a kind of reputation within the wedding and events industry as a whole. And so in doing these contracts over and over, you know, you start seeing some similarities, some differences, and you just you learn more and you learn kind of the parlance, you know, maybe a wedding, a wedding venue has different struggles than a wedding photographer, a DJ, and these type of things. And so, you know, over the past 10, 13 years, uh, just grown the, grown the practice. And now I used to go on a lot of speaking circuits, of course, that, that's not happening in the past year or so, but um, I, I kind of grew the presence, so to speak, with a YouTube channel, and then the podcast. So, um, it's all about wedding and event industry, uh, legal issues every week. Amazing. So where can people find that just right off? Because I'm, I'm super curious. I'll you make it super easy it. for everybody. Thank you. I'll make it super easy for everybody. Weddingindustrylaw.com. If you go to YouTube, just type in wedding industry law and, I, and I'll pop up there. Perfect. Incredible. Okay. So this is, this is amazing because I think as creatives, as people who enter the creative space, tax, legal, um, maybe some like hardcore business topics may not be their strong suit, right? Has that been your experience as well in reviewing contracts and things from creatives? Correct. So it typically, I don't know, I'm not the scientist or the biologist, but you know, you got one side of the brain that can draw the picture. You got the other side of the brain that can analyze the picture. And typically only a rare breed has both sides of that brain. So yes, I mean, typically my, my clients are thinking about how to take a better picture, how to plan a better event, and not necessarily, okay, well, should I be an LLC? Should I escort the LLC in terms of tax purposes, these type of things? So yes, and typically in my experience, and this is a lot of experience with human beings that when we don't understand something, we either fear it or run from it, right? We don't usually fight it. So a lot of times people come to me and you know, it, it'll be like a, a, a little folded piece of notebook paper with maybe some gum stuck to it and that's their contract. <laughs> so. Um, if you actually have a contract, you're doing probably better than a lot of creative professionals out there just starting in the game. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my experience. You're absolutely right. Uh, there are certain industries that tend to draw a certain person and the wedding and event space typically draws creative people that might not necessarily like math and might not necessarily like legal stuff. Absolutely. And at the same time, we have such an exposure to possible lawsuits. There's such an exposure to a bunch of different areas. How do you help your clients? Kind of, kind of what's your first process, your first step as you start working with people? 
So there's a lot of different buckets with regard to running in a, a running legally legit a wedding or event business. And so what I mean by buckets is there is intellectual property buckets. So okay, let me trademark my uh, my brand's logo or trademark the the image or or whatever it takes the the branding process. There is the component of what I would call operations or systems, which is the corporation, um, the liability component, LLC versus LLP. Uh, do I need to have an operating agreement between me and my partner? Then there is the component of the actual interactions with you and other people or other companies, and that's kind of the contractual component. So the contract that that you sign or have your, your client sign, that, that's a different animal altogether. Then there's the employee side or the independent contractor side. So there's a lot of buckets when you're dealing with a wedding or event industry. If you're just starting off, typically you're probably only focusing on the contract bucket and just to a lesser extent, the operations bucket. So that's a lot of what I handle is contracts and helping people incorporate or understand how to create that what we call the legal fiction of of a of a of liability covering business entity if in your advice if someone comes to you and they are just starting off they're that creative person that you just described and they want to know their first step it's like ah like you know i don't i don't know what to do first this whole thing and you just mentioned all these buckets right where should they start in your opinion where is kind of pound for pound the best place that they can start to make sure that they're you know, starting to fill some of these buckets. So it's going to depend on what your, what your industry is and like how hardcore you're moving forward. So somebody that has a million dollars in capital and wants to start a wedding venue is going to be much different than a photographer that just graduated college or high school with $350 and a nice camera they got for Christmas. Their needs are going to be different, but typically the progression starts like this, like, okay, let's talk about how we can limit your liability in running this company. And that usually involves some type of incorporation, typically an LLC. And the reason why it's typically an LLC is because that is typically the cheaper component. It's the one that is most easy to operate. And like, well, Rob, why do we even need something like that anyway? And the reason is because we need to separate the owner of the business, you, from the liabilities of the business itself. So if you don't do that and you drop your camera on somebody's foot or you burn the church down, they're gonna come after you and all of your stuff. They're gonna take your Beanie Babies, they're gonna take your Xbox, all that kind of stuff. So when you incorporate, <laughs> when you have that LLC or the corporation, typically, depending on what you do, they're only gonna be able to take the assets of that LLC. So that's why that's typically the first step. And as I mentioned, the LLC component, typically for what you're doing, is probably going to be it. Now, if you've got five partners that you're going in with, that's a different discussion. Mm -hmm. um, the next thing is in, is going to be what the documents are the client signs, because typically you're not going to have employees, you're not going to have independent contractors, it's going to be you doing your thing. And so the next thing is having a client contract. What does the client sign in order to engage you to do whatever it is that you're going to do. Those are the two things. If you just woke up and are like, man, I'm going to start DJing. That's what I would say to do. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So it sounds like the last component of that, the relationship between yourself and the client, do you feel like that's where you see a lot of wedding pros kind of fail? Uh, do you feel like there are a lot of, um, 
Like, and I guess I'm talking about more when you are hired on by someone and someone does actually have a contract where you don't have to make the contract, but you're reviewing the contract to make sure it will, you know, be useful to them in a, in a situation. Do you find that there is incorrect language or they don't understand? Maybe they just downloaded a contract from someone else and renamed some things. Like what things are you commonly seeing wedding pros do as you're beginning a relationship with them? Great question. So yes, I, I tend to find if somebody has stolen their contract from the internets, that there are going to be components of that contract that aren't relevant to what they're doing. And even if it is relevant to what they're doing, it might be overkill or it might be whatever the opposite of overkill is. Maybe it's under underkill. underkill. So <laughs> uh, under, under not kill. So yes. So, but from a broad standpoint, the document that the client signs and, and, and from, let me, let me back up. So the reason why I said operations first in terms of shielding yourself in terms of liability in some way, whether it is an LLC or if you don't want to do an LLC, you want to be a sole proprietor, then maybe get business insurance. The reason why is because that is the highest risk of ruin for you for the least amount of effort to protect yourself from that amount of ruin. Okay. So that's why I say that. The next thing with the contract is what is the most likely situation that's going to get you into trouble and how do you protect from that? So 95%, and this is my anecdotal, like, I mean, this is not, I've done scientific studies on it, but 95% of the time that somebody calls me, it's like, Rob, I ain't got, they didn't pay me or they want the money back. Okay. So in short, 95% of the problems that I see with contracts or the operations of a company dealing with clients is money. So when I see people that steal things from the internet in terms of contracts or, well, I borrowed it from my cousin's neighbor who met somebody at Baskin Robbins and that's how I got it. It's, that it doesn't deal with money. And if it's likely that the problem that you're going to see is money, then your contract needs to deal with money. And most of the times the solar ones don't. So that's what I see. Then, like I said, there's other things where it's like, you know, there's 16 pages of like indemnity that might not be necessary if you're not a wedding venue, for example. So I guess that's kind of the long, the long answer to a short question. But yes, most of the time, the what I would call the liquidated damages clause, what happens to the money if the event is canceled, isn't strong enough to suit the, the needs of an event professional. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. When you're going through and maybe starting to work with a client, do you find yourself having to maybe educate them a little bit on your field? Because I know as, as wedding pros, a lot of times we have to educate our clients on, you know, how do you best work with a wedding planner or, you know, as a, as a DJ, this is why I charge the prices that I charge or as a florist or, or whatever the different categories of, of this industry are. Do you find yourself having to educate them about, you know, what is a wedding lawyer? How can I help you? Or do the people generally come to you like, help Rob, I'm getting sued, you know? That's such a great question. And the reason why it's a great question is because I feel like I ask more questions than I get asked. And mm -hmm. I think that so is because if you can imagine the, the, the way that a wedding venue or a wedding photographer or a wedding DJ operates is different than the way a wedding planner or a florist might operate. And so let's just take a florist. Mm -hmm. One florist might operate in a different manner than the florist down the street or the florist from a different city. So in a way, the problems that florist A might get into 
is different than the ones that florist B might get into. And that gets down to personality, how, how many payments they're taking, like how aggressive they are in their emails. Like I've, I've got clients that are saying like, Rob, let's, let's sue. And they want to sue, or I've got clients that are like, Rob, I'll do anything to not have to talk to you. And it's just, it's dependent on who you are as a, as a business professional, how you, how you want to run your show. And then from a greater standpoint, the industry that you're in, meaning DJ versus florist versus whatever, and then from a greater standpoint, that. So yes, like, I I mean, I do get questions like, Rob, like, what do you even do? And like I said, most of what I do is contracts, transactional, like dealing, if it's, if it's, there used to be a show in the 80s, you're a young guy, there used to be a show in the 80s called the A-Team. And there was a team of dudes, and they would, they were soldiers for hire, and there was one guy that was good at disguises, one guy that was good at fixing cars. That's like kind of like me. Like if it's got wheels, I can fix it. If it's paper, I can do it. So that is where I come into play, which is if it's a contract for a client or a contract for another vendor, an, an employee, that's typically where I come in. And that's, I, I guess I'm repeating myself, but that's typically one of the first needs of any wedding or event industry as they come into play is the papers that document the relationships that you're going to have with the various people that you're going to be running into. When you work with people, do you find that the that the different clients that you have are they maybe know that they need a lawyer, they needed a lawyer, they they're like, oh man, this has been a long time coming. Like I need to get this done. Or is it the sort of thing that you're really having to educate them, like, hey, just so you know, you can get sued in these six ways. And you're really, I mean, I know you hired me to do this contract with your this, you know, NDA between you and someone you're bringing on, but really you have massive gaps here, here, and here. Do you, what's, what's the kind of, I guess the percentage of people, do you like, do you feel like people come to you and they're like, ah, my gosh, Rob, I gotta, I gotta have you help me. This is a terrific interview. Like, I feel like I should be eating hot wings. Like you're, these are questions (laughs) that are like, are you just thinking of these questions or like, have you written these down? Like, these are amazing. Oh, thank you. No, I haven't. Uh, this just this is you. Honestly, it's coming off of you because wow. I, I and I got to tell you something else, Rob. Actually, let me let me tell you something. A lot of these questions are coming from my own personal experience because I know when I first started my business, my wife and I started an S corp. Uh, I'm sorry, not an S corp, a little sole proprietorship. Right. That's how we started, and then a year later, we realized, oh my goodness, we better get some sort of liability protection. We want to start an LLC and which one, and we didn't really know. And very much the feeling for us, I mean, we're in college at the time, you know, we don't have two nickels to rub together and it's like, ah, I don't want to hire a lawyer. They're going to be 300, 400, 600, 900 bucks an hour. And so there was a lot of fear and hesitation, but at the same time, there was this like knowledge that like, absolutely we needed to do this because we wanted to run a bigger company. And of course, later on, we get lawyers, we get people that analyze the contracts and different things, but in the beginning, I felt that. And there was like this fear of like, and especially we're here in California, you know, and I'm going to talk to you about that in a second, because I know you're admitted in California, correct? As well? Yes. So there's that process. So I do appreciate the the compliment. But really, I mean, I think a lot of creatives really, really yeah. struggle with this. And right. I, that's why I think it's so brilliant what you do. No, that's, that's, I appreciate that. No, great question. So in answer to the question, I find that people come to me and it's almost like they, they know what, what they need to do. And it's with shame that they come to me because they haven't done it yet. And I say, I'm not there to judge you. And I don't think there's anything wrong to me. I'm also a business owner. I own my own law firm. 
And so like, you know, I don't have unlimited money, right? So like, should I have my, should I have wedding and Mr. Law trademarked? Probably, but I'm not allocating my resources to that right now. Should I have, you know, X, Y, Z in terms of the latest software or whatever? No, I'm not allocating my funds right now. So typically when people come to me, it's like, Rob, I finally, I'm so sorry that, you know, I'm, I'm in this situation or whatever. Um, it's, it's, I finally got the money. Now let's, let's take care of business or the problem has come to them and they're forced to find the assets to, to come to me and do that. That's typically what it is. It's not necessarily, they had no idea. They have an idea that they need a contract. They have an idea that they probably a good idea to trademark. They have an idea that it's a good idea to some, to either have insurance or whatever. They might not know how exactly to, to get to the end, the end zone, but they know it. And so I try to be there like, Hey man, it's, it's, completely understandable that, you know, you're, you, you don't have a contract or your contract's no good. Like, let's just, let's fix it, I guess. So I'm saying there should be no shame. Like, I mean, like I, for me, like I'm on Instagram, my Instagram feed, and it's all about like, well, you should have a marketing plan or you should have this. Or you, it's like, I, I mean, what, I'm just one dude, right? Like, I mean, like, I can't, I can't do all this. And so I would go to like a business consultant with shame and stuff like that, but don't have that. Like, I mean, if, if, if there are things you, you you're going to need, you can go to a professional to figure out the order in which you need to accomplish those. And then it's, you're, you're never going to be 100% safe, no matter what you do, people are going to get sued, but you know, I don't know, I guess I've, I've lost, I've, I've lost the answer and whatever I'm saying, I'm just jacking. No, It's perfect. And I was going to say, Rob, you're, you're seem like a pretty nice guy. Do you think that, you know, people have this wrong impression that they should be scared when you're like dealing with, legal stuff or lawyers like that feels very heavy i think especially to creatives and i said you seem like a nice guy you know you're you're speaking with a lot of empathy and you know with a lot of care that i think really probably resonates with a lot of creatives but do you feel like you know this this whole industry that's maybe why people step away and back away a little bit from doing this work up front i appreciate that Yes, I would say at the end of the day, but that is changing. I feel like there are a lot of um, there are a lot of wedding industry attorneys that are changing along with the times, and it's been a long time overdue. In other words, if you want to understand whether or not you need to have an LLC or if that LLC should be a pass through or escort, gone are the days in which you have to drive all the way downtown, go up sixty flights, and talk to some crusty old dude. For six thousand dollars an hour, that, those, <laughs> those days are gone now. Like now, to me, in my eyes, I feel like, and it's a good thing that the industry is becoming more inclusive. Um, yeah. it, and you can find an attorney that represents you. Like if you like tattoos or you know nose rings or whatever the kids are doing now, there's an attorney that is knowledgeable and experienced and can talk to you in the way that you want to be talked to and, and deserve to be talked to. So to the extent that. I can tell anybody, don't be scared about attorneys. Don't be scared about attorneys. Like there are by last count, 1.2 million attorneys in this country. So chances are, you know, somebody that's an attorney and, and trust me, when, when there's competition, people will fight for your dollar. And if somebody's not fighting for your dollar and somebody, and what I mean by that is giving you customer service, talking to the way, talking to you, the way that you deserve to be talked to, there's somebody on the street that will be more than happy to take your money and treat you right. Wow. I love that. That's powerful. And not just someone on the street, but you, Rob. And I want to actually move to someone else. Uh, so another topic here, because you have a, a company online 
is it a separate company or because it's it's web forms is that what it is right so you you you're kind of like peeking behind the curtain so yes so the re so i have a, a law firm that represents wedding and event industry professionals like if somebody call me i would talk to you and give you advice and i can do that for any vendor that is in a state in which i am licensed and that's just how the law works you have to be licensed in the jurisdiction in which you are going to give advice so what about the people that are in the states that I am not in? So where are you? Where are you admitted in? I am admitted and can practice law in California, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, and New York. Wow. So a lot of times what you'll see are companies that provide templates. And I have one of those type of companies. It's called Wedforms with a Z, W-E-D-F-O-R-M-Z.com. And so when if you're in a, Wisconsin, by way of example, and you want a, a contract template, you can go and purchase that. You're not purchasing me, my pretty face. You're purchasing a template because I'm not authorized to help you in Wisconsin, but I am authorized to give you a template and say, take this to a, another attorney in Wisconsin. It's already you know halfway there for you, but I can't take you all the way to the end zone. And that would be the case with any template. If you're buying a template, it's best practice to get an attorney in your jurisdiction to look at it because every state has their special sauce. So that's that's the story of why Wetforms is kind of a, a separate company. And I kind of separate my face from it because of the issues. If I don't want people to think that they're going to be able to call me up if they bought a template in Wisconsin and get legal advice from me. That makes total sense. And I love that because it's, it's almost a good way to start, like the least scary way to start, right? I guess. Um, and I know there's companies out there that are like, um, I know one at the very beginning of our company, we use rocket lawyer, mm -hmm. you know, but again, a lot of those contracts were not even remotely close to what we needed in the wedding and event space. So I think it's incredible that you provide that. Um, Rob, talk to me about how you feel like you wish clients would approach you and, and what directly I'm asking is, you know, for the creatives that are listening to this, for the venue owners, florists, DJs, caterers, whoever, who know they need help now at this point, and they're, they're going to reach out to you. How, what's, what's the way to make the conversation easy? What things should they come prepared with? How do they make the job of dealing with a lawyer in this space a lot easier directly to the point so that it makes your life easier and their life easier and they get what they're, they're coming for quicker. I think it, and it, it, to answer that question, it would be come with the, come with the idea that it's not me trying to fill a picture up, right? Like here, let me fill you up with knowledge. It's you, you fill my picture up with knowledge because you should come to an, and this is for contracts or operations or whatever, but you need to come with, this is what I want. I want to have a trademark. It's got a purple dinosaur on it or whatever, or I want a contract in which this is how I do my business. This is how many times I want to get payments, this type of stuff. You give the attorney the information and hopefully the attorney will draft the document or trademark the idea or copyright the idea, whatever it is around your vision, right? So I guess I want to correct the idea that 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 it's the attorney that needs to be talking to you and lecturing you. You need to, because you're a business owner and you run your business your specific way. So come to the meeting with this is what I want to accomplish in my business. 
And then the attorney can go, here's how I can protect you legally, or here's what you can do or not do in your vision legally. And let's try to go around ways in which, you know, if you want to do X and you can't do X, let's figure out your Y or your Z. So I think, I think that, I think that's it, not to step on the question, but like, no, it's perfect. Um, it's because it, it, again, like, I mean, w- the law is a customer service. Like, I mean, obviously I, I don't write the law, I just know it, but you know, the attorney works for you. So you need to have an idea of your end goal and the attorney helps you get there. If that makes sense. Absolutely. I love it. And the reason that I asked it like that, and I love that you kind of spun it in that direction, but the reason why I asked it like that is because I feel like a lot of creatives, again, they're using this different side of their brain. They might be approaching the relationship a little bit apologetically, a little bit retiringly, like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to say the wrong thing. Or, and, and what you're saying, it sounds like is come confidently, have a good idea. You know, hey, this is what I need to get done, but really be prepared to educate the lawyer on, you know, what your, your business what operations. It? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So awesome. yeah, now now that's not to say like don't come to me and be like Rob, I want you to file a summary judgment motion or file this complaint in whatever court. Like, don't come to me with that. That's your. I'll tell you that. But like, I don't know how your operations run. I don't know how your business runs. That's what you educate me on. So like, not 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 to confuse one from the other. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> so and, and that makes so much sense. How would you counsel people to go about looking? for legal help? Let's say it is in Wisconsin or maybe another state that you're not admitted in. You know, are there some tips that people can use to find good legal representation, maybe things they should be looking for? I think that the the best way to find an attorney that, well, let me just say this. I think it's best if you're in the wedding and event industry to find an attorney that understands the wedding and event industry. And so how do you find those? And I think the best way to find that is if you have a colleague and you, hey, colleague, do you have an attorney? Did your attorney? Did you have an attorney that drafted your contract or formed your company or trademarked or whatever? Yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's it's you know, Melissa John Doe or whatever. Then that's that's how the number one recommendation I would that I would use. There are um, or go to whatever your local organization is, whether you're involved in in in, in WIPA, ALIA, wh- whatever whatever your you know, whatever NACE, whatever your organization is, and 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 go to that committee or whatever the education committee is and go, Hey, do, who, do we have attorneys that we recommend that are on, on, you know, a speed dial or whatever, or, or to the extent that you don't want to do that, or you can't do that, then you're looking for, um, you know, you can go to the website called AVO, which is a V V O alpha Victor, Victor, October.com. And you can search for attorneys across the country. But again, at the end of the day, you're looking for someone that has experience in the industry. If you can, and the next thing would be, does the person jive with me? And then the next thing is, or maybe the first thing would be, can I afford the person? And the next thing is, can they jive with me? And do they have the same tattoos that I want to have and all that kind of representation issue? You've been bringing up tattoos. I'm curious. Do you, do you have any? I have none. It's just like, that's the differential thing. Like I, that's in, cause I'm an old man that was cool when I was young. So like, that's how I like, you know, that's what I, was, I guess that's, that's my shorthand of saying, find someone that's cool with you. And that's what I use as tattoos. No, I just had to ask that question. That's pretty funny. Um, another, I guess, personal question. I just asked about your tattoos, but what what do you love most about what you do as a wedding lawyer? I think for me that it's, it's very rare, I think, that when you have something that you have a knack for, like when you take to something, like I'm sure like, you know, 
everybody struggles with stuff, but there are sometimes it's like, man, I'm just, I just, I just happened through some miracle of genetics or some miracle of like interest that I could, you connect with something. And I connect with reading something and tearing it apart or analyzing it. And so I'm really good at that. And my weakness was understanding running businesses. And so when I first started in the wedding in the event industry, it was like, you know, I could tell you when you, when I read a contract, like, do you, have you thought about this? Or have you thought about this? Or, you know, you haven't thought about this, but I might not have understood like Rob, like it's, it's, you know, proper etiquette to give someone credit if you're going to use their photograph or Rob, like, you know, here's how kickbacks work or like, you know, these type of things. And so I had to catch up to kind of the business operations component, the, the, what it means to, to close a client, for example, like all those things. Like I didn't, I hadn't gone through that, even though in a law firm, really, I'm, I'm doing the same thing. So, but that's, 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 I guess that's the long story of, of why I like doing this. And even though it's, you know, even though it can be high pressure and it's a once in a lifetime event and the clients, my clients who are the wedding vendors are, you know, can be under a lot of stress, particularly in the past year or so. Um, at the end of the day, if I've done a good job, I can sleep at night. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like I'm defending companies that are dumping, you know, toxic waste into the water, or, you know, clubbing baby seals or something. So that's an extra component of it. And, and I'm helping people like make money and like, and do cool stuff. So that's, that's kind of roundabout. Around, around a party and around, you know, you know, the, the best time of someone's life, presumably. So right. I, um, that's really, really, really cool. You, you know, uh, I have a, a, a question that just occurred to me just as we're thinking about legal representation, contract creation, some of these things. Um, we talked about some first steps that creatives could take, right? When I think of lawyers and legal fees, and I think many of the audience may, may think about this as well, they think of like expensive, like, oh my gosh, it's going to be so expensive. And we just talked about the crusty old guy up at the 60th floor who's going to cost you $6,000, right? per hour. Um, do you feel like there is a right price and what kind of goes into pricing and, and what creatives can expect to pay for some of these different services you've been discussing? Well, I can't tell you specifically a price. I will say this. And the reason why I can is because what a wedding professional is going to pay an attorney in Los Angeles is going to be much different than what they're going to pay in Mountain Juliet, Tennessee. And that's just because of cost of living differences. But what I will say to you is that anything involving incorporation, anything involving consultations regarding operating agreements or LLCs or client contracts or paper con contracts with independent contractors, whatever those is, whatever that is, I highly recommend that you only pay flat fees for those services. These are services that the individual should have the experience to provide to you that's customized, but not by the hour. Does that make sense? Hmm. So in other words, you should know what you're going to pay for a document up front. There should be no like, oh, it took them six hours to you know figure out whether I should be an LLC or whatever the case is. Flat fees are where you need to go. Now, um, 
I would recommend if you want to know exactly how much you should pay, then it's a matter of you need to go and do your due diligence and look at a couple of different attorneys. And if, if the price is way skewed from one or the other, ask yourself why that might be. If the person's been around for 35 years, or maybe it's because they only do wedding and event or whatever the case is, and you can, I guess, shop in, in that way. But at the end of the day, do not pay anybody by the hour. Now that's going to be different with regard to litigation, for example, or if there's some type, if you want to trademark, it's flat fee, but if there's some type of appeal you have to make, sometimes that is by the hour, but um, don't, don't pay some $5,000 retainer and somebody works, you know, three or $400 an hour or whatever off of that. You need to do flat fees. Now you're definitely making me, you know, rethink some of the different relationships I've had in the past. Cause I think that, yeah, for some of that, um, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And so I think that's a wonderful piece of advice. And I'm, I, I love that. Um, what things do you wish kind of going into a relationship with someone? Do you, do you wish creatives knew? And it, let's even take it out of creatives. Let's go, let's go venue owners, right? Or let's go maybe specifically people who are maybe serving the wedding and event space, but don't necessarily, they're not like a direct wedding planner or florist or something like that. Are there things that um, that you're constantly butting up against is maybe not as much misconceptions, but maybe just like uh, every single time I'm answering the same question again and again and again. Is there anything like that? Yeah. So I think that just by way of example would be uh, usage of photography. And I know that sounds strange, but the wedding and event industry is is visual in order to market it. Like, I mean, you're, you don't have a business if you don't have images that that represent who you are. And so there are only a very, there are only a select amount of people that can take really good pictures. Okay. And so a lot of times I, I deal with, you know, wedding vendor A, who might be a DJ, did an event, doesn't have their own photography. And because they believe that because they did an event, they have the right to use the photographs of the principal photographer, right? Um, or the you know, they'll go into the to client, the DJ will go to the client and go, I want to use the photographs, or the wedding venue will go to the client, and go, I want to use photographs um, from the client. So it all that'll come down to only the individual that is the copyright owner of those photographs is going to be allowed to use those photographs. So and so the safest thing for you to do is to figure out who owns the copyright. Nine times out of 10, it's going to be the principal photographer. Although sometimes photographers in their contracts with the clients will uh, essentially assign or give away all the copyright to the client. That's rare, but it happens. So one of those two people are going to be the copyright owner. So you're going to need to go to one of those to, to be like, hey, can I use these images? And then say yes or no, or give me 50 bucks or whatever the case is. It's a big misconception, and, and I, I don't know what happened in the past couple of weeks, but that's out. I've been seeing that a lot and talking a lot about that. So the safest thing to do if you're going to use an image for anything in marketing wise mm -hmm. is to get permission from the person that owns the copyright in the image. Just that's the, just about off the top of my head, Jonathan. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Does it have to be written permission, or could it just be something verbal? What's kind of the format on that? I mean, it's, it's obviously going to be safer to have it in writing in some way. And without getting in the intricacies of copyright law, there are some licenses that typically there needs to be a writing or some type of exchange in, in terms of that to be truly valid. 
But if you type an email or a text or whatever it is with the image, like, hey, can I use this image on, you know, for this purpose, for this long or whatever? And they go, yeah, man, sounds good. I mean, is it possible that you might end up a defendant? Yeah, but like you have a strong defense. Like, so if you get that type of permission, you're the risk of liability is dropped severely, although it can never be completely eliminated. Mm, okay. You, you've been a trial lawyer before, correct? Correct. So still, still am, hopefully, like knock oh, on wood. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry if I, I misspoke there. When you, um, have you tried or been involved in cases where, uh, outside of just giving advice, where there are lawsuits happening inside the parameters of, of this industry, whether it's between a client, you know, a, a couple, or it's between two vendors, maybe even? Have you been yes. there before? Y- y- yes. Um, m- mostly bench trials. Like in other words, there's the bench trial, which the judge is the finder of fact, and there are trials in which 12 jurors are the finder of fact. So I have not taken a wedding industry case to trial by jury. However, I have uh, taken wedding industry cases to bench trial. Um, it's It's been a long time. I've grown very, very sour with litigation in the business world. Because at the end of the day, most of the time when you're dealing with contractual issues, breach of contract issues, the only people that win are the lawyers. So Mm -hmm. I attempt to, as best I can, resolve conflict before the lawsuit gets filed. Because after two or three retainers, even though I just told you, like, don't, you know, work on flat fee, no attorney can work on flat fee. Well, I don't want to say that. Most attorneys don't work on flat fee for litigation because you never know how long it's going to take. And if you, you know, at any rate, after two or three retainers, you've, all you've done is spend $10,000 for the potential to make $8,000, right? So by way of example, so I tend to, I, and I won't do it anymore. I don't, I don't want to say that. Like if Meghan Markle comes to me and goes, Rob, will you, you know, litigate something for me? Okay. Yeah, I will. But I don't, I don't like doing it because that, that's the one where I, I don't feel good at night litigating a business issue. Because mm. no, no, no one, no one will win. The, the contract values typically are not high enough to warrant the case. Warrant the case. Oh, for you coming in, it's not worth it for you to do. And it's certainly not worth it for them to pay the legal fees that it would cost actually. No, yes and no. It's, I mean, obviously if I get paid, it's worth it to me. But what I'm saying is I don't sleep at night because all you're doing, instead of just taking that money, and going on with your life, you're giving that money to me for the possibility of a judge to give you a piece of paper that says client owes you X amount that you're going to have to turn around and get another attorney to collect on. Mm-hmm. So it's litig- business litigation. This is what goes back to why contracts are so important is because your contract is the, I, w- I don't want to say the only way, but it's the best way to avoid money issues in any in any component of running a, a wedding or event a wet wedding or event industry you want the judge to be able to at the beginning stages of anything to look at that and go no this person owes you money or whatever the case may be because it's it's typically mutually assured destruction business litigation okay okay do you see when you're in some of these cases or even just your experience across the board do you see that there is equal chance of um you know, litigation or, um, you know, just issues arising between vendors? Because I think a lot of times maybe as, as business owners, we think of like, 
what about our clients or what about our employees? But do you ever see anything happening between vendors, maybe on a vendor list or something like that? From a, speaking about buckets, from a contractual standpoint, like vendor breaching a contract, a vendor, vendor A breaking a contract from vendor B, litigation, not as much. Where you do see this is the bucket of what's called personal injury. So by way of example, if the wedding DJ walks into the venue and the venue is not up to code with regard to the sidewalk, or there's a tree that's down and like they fall and they break their arm. That's the type of litigation that I see vendor to vendor, um, mm -hmm. which is also at the same time, a lot of times the more, um, I guess, risky litigation in terms of being the defendant in a case like that, because if someone has a personal injury, that can be a business ender if you don't have the appropriate amount of insurance or you don't have the appropriate corporation like LLC or whatever. So that's, that's, that's my two cents on that, I guess. I'm asking that question because I have been to so many venues here in the Southern California area where our business is based and there are these incredible venues, but they are absolutely, at least it doesn't seem to me, I'm not an expert on any sort of code or OSHA or anything like that, but it definitely does not, it definitely seems that there are hazardous, there's a hazardous environment in, in play. And so what protection can a venue really have when they're creating this very maybe rustic experience, maybe authentic experience where you're out in the middle of nowhere and you're in a, you know, you're in a yurt or you're in a, you know, some other very creative, very interesting type of wedding venue scenario. How can these owners be protected at all? Is there any, or is it just like a, a big risk and you hopefully you carry a lot of insurance? So in answer, so the, the best thing to do, like I said, is have some type of liability insurance. Um, general liability that covers your, I guess it would be negligence and personal injury that happens on your premises. That's the number one thing because that that's typically what the issue is. It's it's you as the wedding venue owner have done what's called breach the standard of care. Like like should you have had um, the steps this far apart or whatever the case may be. What's the standard? What's the reasonable amount of space between two steps? At, at, by way of example of a wedding venue. And if you've breached that and you didn't do that correctly, and as a direct result, someone is injured, then the venue is liable under the concept of negligence. It was negligent behavior that caused the personal injury of somebody. Now, there are certain things that are going to change that circumstance. Like, for example, there's the idea of, of uh, open danger, for example. So like, I can't just, if there's a huge pit in at the venue and I looking at my phone, I'm not paying attention. I just fall into this pit that's obvious to everybody. Then that might not be negligence if, by way of example. So there are some things that you can do with your contract um, to kind of minimize the risk of that type of personal injury. One is to have maybe indemnity clauses in, in your contract. Another might be to have um, the guests or the clients as they enter um, sign a document saying, you know, there is a big pit in the yard or, you know, agrotourism has risks. You might cut your finger on a thorn as you're, you know, picking blueberries on the way to the, the event or whatever the case is, making the client or the guest aware of whatever potential hazards there are on the grounds can also help you as well. So that's kind of a couple of 
40,000 foot view of things that you could do to minimize the risk of a lawsuit from somebody hurting themselves on your grounds. This is so powerful. I'm thinking of a venue that we currently manage and they have this beautiful stream running through the middle of it. And it's this little, you know, man-made river actually is what it is. And it has these wonderful rocks, but I can speak from personal experience. I have four children and my eight-year-old and six-year-old, I mean, pew, it is right to the rocks. As soon as they show up, they want to climb on those rocks. But, you know, when those get wet, when those, I mean, there's all sorts of different issues there. While there might be a sign that says, hey, please stay off the rocks, there are, you know, these, these different issues. Um, and so I, I think that coming from a, a place of like analyzing those risks, you know, as a venue owner, that's maybe not the first thing you think of. You're trying to make a beautiful space and you're like, of course, a, a river right through would be great. But that whole next step. So in that case, you're saying an indemnity clause, signs. Having the sign is, is helpful. Now, I mean, trust me, like there, there, I mean, there are a lot of things that you can do and there's a lot of things that you can do that might not be helpful. I mean, like just depending on the facts, the circumstance, like if there's busloads of kids getting off of a, of, of the bus every day and beelining it to those rocks, this, then, then the owner of that venue is on notice that the sign isn't doing enough. And that's an instance in which even though you have a sign, even though you might have an indemnity agreement, that might not help you. If it's consistent that kids are jumping on these things and hurting themselves, like you have an open danger that you need to take care of. So, um, but, but yeah, you're, you're, you're right. Like, I mean, as much as you can do, but again, like if that's a problem, if that's a worry that you have in your wedding venue owner, or even whatever your industry is, you need to have an attorney kind of look that over and, 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 and provide specific advice for your specific situation. Got it. Makes, makes total sense. Uh, unfortunately, no one has been injured, but I just know that, you know, that, that is definitely something from a liability standpoint that I'm, I've been considering, but uh, Rob, this has just been so educational for, for me. And I know for all the listeners, and so I really appreciate you coming on here. I do have one more question though, that has definitely been on my mind as we've been talking here from a liability standpoint, what work have you been doing or what, um, what, kind of new maybe standards have come about as a result of COVID because COVID seems to add an entirely new dynamic. And certainly here in California, you know, we're not fully open. We just down here in San Diego entered the red tier, I want to say it is, but different parts of the country have different, different things. What are you seeing as far as liability protection surrounding COVID or any new regulations around COVID? So in, in terms of liability of, of guests or clients getting COVID? Correct. So, I mean, I am, not, I am not trained in terms of each individual jurisdiction within California in terms of, of mm -hmm. that, but I can tell you this, that less, you can lessen your likelihood of being a defendant in a case in which a guest, a vendor, or a client gets COVID at your event by number one, following whatever the guidelines are for, for California's Department of Health and then the, the CDC guidelines, okay? Then there are other things that you can do as a business, which is to say you would have written policies and procedures with regard to infection control. So for example, all the employees at our venue, we temperature check them every day. Um, you know, we pay for their vaccination. So, you know, their vaccine registered. If they have a sore throat or they can't taste anything. We don't let them work that day. Um, 
so on and so forth. And we have that policy and procedure and we abide by it with our own employees. Then we have policies and procedures that we have with regard to guest or client behavior. So in other words, same thing, we're obligating the client to tell us if they're sick. And if you're sick, sorry, Charlie, there's no event, right? And as long as you have these things and you do them, then you are lessening your risk from a negligence lawsuit because that's typically how it would work. Did you breach the standard of care? And by your breach, did it actually cause somebody to get COVID? And when you, and so if you're doing all these things, you are meeting the standard of care. That is to say, Jonathan, that just because someone got COVID at your event doesn't mean that you're liable for it. It only is, you're only liable for it if you have breached that standard of care, typically. Mm -hmm. And you don't breach the standard of care by having a high standard for yourself and abiding by it. I, I really like that. That's so well said. And for any venue owners listening out there, you know, to, regardless of where you are in the country or the opening, uh, you know, how things have been open. I know certainly in some states, it's a little bit more lenient than others and, and, and infection rates and all those things. But like you said, having that standard of care definitely seems to safeguard you. So that's, that's brilliant. Well, Rob, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a cool, cool, very practical, very um, just, just meaningful podcast, I think for a lot of people. And so I appreciate you coming on, where can people find you? Uh, if they're either interested in, you know, you personally, your podcast, you mentioned YouTube channel, where can they find you? Thank you so much for the kind words, Jonathan. I had a, an excellent time, excellent questions. People can find me that, 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 um, want to learn more about wedding industry law at weddingindustrylaw.com. I also have a YouTube channel. Um, just type in wedding industry law. I don't think it has one of those short URLs yet. So just type in wedding industry law. You'll find it there. And, you can find the Wedding Industry Law podcast anywhere that you get podcasts from. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, you know, I don't know, iPod Puppies, wherever you get your podcast from. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can find all that at Wedding Industry Law. And I think you can find me on Instagram. I don't remember what, I think I might be at Wedding Lawyer. I don't, Wedding I'm, lawyer. I'm yep. terrible with, with social media, but anyway, that's how you can find me. Perfect. Well, we'll put the links to all that in the description of the video. And if you guys have any comments or questions or anything like that for Rob, feel free to leave them in the description or contact him. And also I would encourage you to check out web forms because that is, I know I'm going to be checking that out. I already did a little bit, but I'm going to be looking into that as well. Cause I think that's a really cool place to start. And then kind of, as you go deeper and you, you're, you're um, looking to make sure that your liability from a liability standpoint, you're covered, you know, Rob's a, a great person to reach out to. So thanks again, Rob, for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you.